The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm also the editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks newsletter, and you can learn more about that as well as my two partners, Chen Lin and Roger Wiegand, by going to miningstocks.com. That's M-I-N-I-N-G-S-T-O-C-K-S.com. That's for me and Chen, and WeBeatTheStreet.com for Roger Wiegand and myself. Uh, you can sign up for our special trial offers. I call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, in New York during regular business hours at 718-457-1426. That's 718-457-1426. We make available at lower cost a uh, trial so you can uh, determine whether or not our services are, are for you. Um, two other websites where I am posting a daily blog are... Uh, jtaylormedia.com, that's jaytaylormedia.com, and goldinvestor.com. And also to keep track of companies on my radar screen, those are companies that are very promising, in my view, uh, that have a chance to make it into my newsletter. Go to jayswatchlist.com, that's J-A-Y-S, watchlist.com. And in fact, in the last segment today, we're going to be talking to Guyana Goldfields, a company that has made it into my newsletter by way of jayswatchlist.com. Well, thanks to each of you for listening to our show. Um, without you listening, there would be no reason to spend the time we do here talking on the phone. Um, but uh, I'd also like to thank uh, our 
corporate sponsors because without them it would not be financially possible to put this show on. <clears throat> Excuse me. Those uh, sponsors are Apollo Gold, Bonterra Resources, Hawthorne Gold, Metanor Resources, Pediment Gold, Palangio Explorations, and Sand Gold. This is a time of the year as we approach Christmas when there's not a whole lot of news coming out from companies that we follow. However, I would suggest that you keep your eyes peeled on one of our sponsors uh, that I just named, Hawthorne Gold. I'd like you to watch all of them, but Hawthorne Gold, I think, could be coming out with some very interesting news early in the year. <coughs> Excuse me, very trying to battle this cold here. Hawthorne uh, has not been one of our better performers, that's for sure. In fact, they've been pretty disappointing in many ways, but they do have a very strong management team that has the proven skills to bring gold mines into production. They've done it in the past, uh, and they have some excellent gold properties in British Columbia. So uh, we are looking for some news. Um, there Basically, three things are required to get a gold mine into production, management, uh, good properties, and, uh, and the third is money. The money part is what's been missing. I think we could have some good news on that front, and that's what I'd keep, uh, ask you to keep your eyes on. Uh, the news coming out of Hawthorne as we head into the new year. Well, we're having a very good year this year. Our average, our model portfolio is up 72.33%, headed up by uranium stocks, which have just been on a tear, up 185%. Junior gold mining stocks up 153%. Uh, but we are very, very cautious. We're very worried that we are in a secular bear market, which is going to be very difficult, I think, for investors as a whole. We do believe, though, that gold mining shares will be the one exception for reasons we've talked about in our newsletter on a regular basis and also on this show. Right now, I want to welcome Roger and Chen. My two partners are both with me now. First, let's turn to Roger. Roger, what are you working on these days? What's important? I noticed that you made some comments about Paul Volcker and his warnings about our policymakers refusal to pay attention to the problems that we have. Well, as you know, Paul Volcker historically was the man who got the credit for driving the interest rates up and then repairing the financial system when Jimmy Carter had a big mess in 22% interest a lot of years ago. Uh, Paul Volcker recently has been on a tour uh, going to nine cities in the past eight weeks. He's been trying to warn bankers and regulators that they better get busy and clean up these problems that have been lurking in the back rooms of these banks that we've been reporting on for a long time. They apparently want no part of it. Uh, they borrowed the TARP money. Uh, they, they're paying the TARP money back. A lot of it apparently was not even used, but all it did was give uh, good feelings and, uh, to, to the public and make them warm and fuzzy, give them the idea that everything was fine. But all of these problems that precipitated this crisis starting way back a year ago with Lehman are still there. They have not gone away. And, in fact, uh, in the article that we saw about Volcker, uh, there was a, a representative, a North Carolina Democrat, Brad Miller, said, he said, uh, my, my, my fear is that since these people have the appearance of being put back together again, that there's no, <clears throat> excuse me, there's no clout to defeat fundamental reforms that our nation desperately needs. In other mm -hmm. words, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, uh, the, the, the feelings are that everything is fine and that there's not, no. it's not a, an emergency, there's nothing really necessary to, to get things squared away here. And in well, our Roger, we've had, excuse me, we're just, you know, time-wise here, we've got to move on because I've got to have Chen, but we're seeing a major bounce off the, uh, off the catastrophic decline last fall. And, you know, there is a feeling. I mean, it's hard not to be as pessimistic as you were earlier in the year. 
But I, I, I hear what you're saying. So Volcker, who gets all the credit for putting things back together after the 1970s debacle, is going around warning, but nobody's paying much attention, I guess. That's pretty much it. All right, let's uh, move on to Chen. Chen, um, what are you working on now? I think you're, you've been really big in gold and silver. You've done very well this year with those investments. Are you still bullish on those two, um, on those two sectors? And also, uh, are you looking at anything new as we head into a new year? Yes, I'm still quite bullish, very bullish on those. I also bullish energy, you know, other and other commodities did very well uh, in, uh, you know, have a great year so far. So I'm start looking, planning for the next year. Um, I, I'm looking at all the different sectors. Uh, I think agriculture probably will be a good sector to invest for the next year. One of the key reasons is the fertilizer usage in the United States was down 30%, you know, in the, in the past year. 30% fertilizer usage. That means they have to use 30% more fertilizer to compensate, maybe more than that, but they're depleting the nutrition of the ground. So, you know, uh, and then so there's no way you know, the fertilizer price has to go up. So right now we have all the bad news, potash price is going lower, and so on and so forth. Actually, it's a good time uh, to, to buy agriculture stock, buy those fertilizer stock. I already have two stocks on my recommendation. I'm actively looking for more. Uh, I think, you know, those are just a cycle, and then I can start see the cycle start to turn now. Okay, so you have any names you'd like to pass along? Any, what are some of the companies? I know that you had an agriculture, you had a, the government's lender to agriculture, uh, to the farmers, was one of your big winners last year. Do you still like that? Yeah, I still like that. You know, it's a dividend-paying stock, so I just I just keeping the dividend. Agri- uh, you know, the uh, agricultural mortgage company and the um, and uh, also yeah, also um, um, bullish. I have potash company. I also just recommend a phosphorus rock company. Mm-hmm. So those mm-hmm. are, I think, uh, uh, you know, you have opportunity right now to buy a um, world-class asset, basically a penny on the dollar, basically. It's really penny on the dollar. They have such a huge, huge asset. You know, the uh, the, the the potash company is uh, called Alana Resource. Um, it's AAA on, on Toronto. So they, okay. They, 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 they already have a com- company from China lining up to uh, to to you know to to uh, to finance them to build a potash mine. The, the key reason why that one is like, attractive because it's very shallow. The potash is very very shallow. So, you can, so the mining cost should be relatively low, capital cost low. Exactly, capital cost low. The 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 low will be low cost producer. So even potash go down another hundred dollars, huh? A lot of potash company will not be profitable. This company, this project will still be very profitable. All right, to Chen. Well, thank you very much, if folks. You want to listen to what Chen has to say? I would remind you again that Chen has had a remarkable uh, record in investing. His uh, the IRA that we track, the Roth IRA, started out with fifty four hundred dollars. In January of 2003, it was worth just shy of a half a million at the end of November of this year. Chen is a trader, unlike yours truly. I'm more of a longer-term investor, but Chen uh, finds these great investments to buy from time to time. So you may want to consider calling Claudio Bossi uh, and sign up for Chen's newsletter and uh, get a trial subscription just to see if it's for you. Next up, we have uh, Dr. Hugh Ross. He's an astronomer who uh, will have something to say about our world, who created it, and why we are here on Earth. You won't want to miss the informative scientific views and, I think, provocative views, no doubt, of Dr. Hugh Ross. We'll be right back. 
up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, this week we are departing further than usual from the topics of economic theory and the markets to talk to our special guest, Dr. Hugh Ross. Dr. Ross is an advocate of Christianity, and at least intellectually, he came to believe in the God of the Bible because he says his mainstream science uh, really uh, explains better 
than uh, than anything, um, really sort of is uh, convincing uh, that the Bible, the God of the Bible, as we've been given it, uh, as has been given to us, uh, those of us who grew up as Christians, uh, that, that modern science really confirms and um, uh, the, uh, the the creation. Um, so while some may argue that this topic um, is too far removed from the finance and economics that are normally discussed in this program, I beg to differ with that because I think that a supreme being, uh, if you believe that a supreme being has designed the universe and the earth, uh, and the planet we live on, then it has everything to do with the way we treat our fellow man and how we form our government and our and the way uh, the way we handle and form our society. So, um, you know, the big question in our mind, and we keep talking about the policies of Ben Bernanke and Barack Obama, who is in control of our economy, our country, and our world? Is it Ben Bernanke? Is it Barack Obama? Or the God of the Jews and Christians um, have believed, you know, that God that we have believed have, has created the universe? Um, or, you know, is there somebody bigger, or are we really depending on Ben Bernanke? Um, for some scientific answers, we're going to turn to Dr. Ross. Uh, but first, just a little background on Dr. Ross. At age 17, he became the youngest person ever to serve as director of observations for Vancouver's Royal Astronomical Society. His undergraduate degree is in physics at the University of British Columbia and Ph.D. in astronomy at the University of Toronto. At Caltech, he researched quasars, stellar and objects and quasars. He also studied the world's religions and holy books and found only the Bible proves to be scientifically and historically accurate. He started at uh, Religious Ground Zero uh, and through scientific and historical reality testing became convinced that the Bible is truly the word of God. He was surprised to discover how many people uh, believed or disbelieved without checking the evidence. Now, our founding fathers largely believed in the Judeo-Christian view. Uh, self-constraints of the Ten Commandments that flowed from that view and believed by a majority of citizens has enabled limited government and free market capitalism to work better, I would argue, than almost other, any other system tried in, uh, throughout history. But what happens when a Darwinian worldview of chaos takes over? where each of us are accidents of nature. If there is no God, why worry about immoral and illegal gains so long as we can avoid being caught? Having no moral constraints, government grows exponentially, and freedom is quickly lost. The Darwinian evolutionary worldview is that the politically correct view now, it seems, that is taught in our public schools. But is it true? Astronomer Hugh Ross will provide some mainstream ideas on that, and so I welcome you, Dr. Ross, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thank you for inviting me. You know, this subject really does have economic importance because what I talk about and why the universe is the way it is is something called the anthropic principle inequality. How in God's economic system, given the laws of physics that he chose, and there's very good reasons why he chose those laws, it takes a minimum of 14 billion years to make a home for human beings. Yet the maximum time in which we can live in that home in a civilized state is at best 41,000 years long. Our own calculations show it to be about 20,000 years long. We've already been here in a civilized state for 10,000, so it means in terms of your long-term investments, uh, don't go up more than 10,000 years. Uh, because <laughs> the universe is not going to support us for that period of time. <laughs> okay. All right, I don't think many of us were thinking beyond 10,000 years. I'm, I'm quite well, sure Well, I mean, that. we astronomers think long-term. So, I mean, what <laughs> I'm saying is you've really got to think short-term. Well, Dr. Ross, so do many of the geologists that I talk to who are, 
you know, her used to looking at rocks that are three and a half, I don't know, maybe four billion years of age. I guess that's where you would suggest the Earth was uh, uh, was born about that time. Yeah, about four or four billion. Five, six, six, two. We want to know it to five places of the decimal billion. Wow, you can be that accurate. You can be that accurate today. And likewise, we've got a quite an accurate figure in the universe, 13.73 billion. Oh, is that right? So I think when I first read your Footprint of God book many years ago... Yeah, The Fingerprint of God, yeah. I think at that point in time, you weren't quite that exact. I think there was a range of a few billion years, perhaps. But now you're saying we can actually... It was 16 plus or minus 4 billion. Now it's 13.73 plus or minus 0.12 billion. So yeah, we've got much more accurate measurements today. But those measurements are telling us that for human beings to possibly exist, the universe must be exactly that old. It must be exactly as big as we measure it. We now can measure the observable universe, 50 billion trillion stars. And if it was any bigger or any smaller, there'd be no possibility for the existence of human life. And one thing we discerned in the age, too, is that only with the universe as old as it is are we human beings able to do the astronomy that would allow us to witness 100% of the history of the universe. Because of the time in which we've been placed in the universe, we can actually look all the way back, because the farther away you look, the farther back in time you see, we can actually image the universe being created. And that's where we get our most compelling evidence that there must be a being beyond space and time that brought this universe into existence for the specific benefit of human beings. Yeah, that's uh I, I'm look, I know we've got about twenty minutes to go here and I don't know how we can even begin to start uh to explain this topic in such a short period of time. So um I, I'm not quite sure I know where to start. Uh the universe well, let, let me why the universe is the way it is. Right. Okay. You know, okay. I've debated atheist physicists on this subject about why uh-huh. the universe is the way it is. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them take the position that if there is a God out there, his only reason for making the universe the way it is is to provide us with a home. As you've already heard me explain, there's a second reason. He created it so we could see all of it and actually see everything that he had done in preparing the universe for our benefit. Or as the atheist physicist Freeman Dyson puts it, when we look at the universe, we see that it must have known that we were coming. It was designed in advance of our appearance in order to provide us with this home we have here on planet Earth. But I think the biggest reason why God made the universe the way it is is so that it would be endowed with a physics that would make possible a rapid conquest and removal of evil and suffering. You know, as I went through the holy books of the different religions of the world as a young man, what I noticed is outside of the Bible, they all taught a one-creation model. Interestingly, they all teach that we start off in paradise and that somehow we lost paradise, but where they differ from the Bible is they claim that God or gods are in a mission to restore us to paradise. But our new measurements in the universe tell us that the time window in which we can exist in a civilized state is extremely brief, and therefore our ultimate destiny cannot reside in this universe, but was different about the Bible it presents a two-creation model. The first creation to bring about the end of all evil and suffering, followed by a new creation where evil and suffering will never exist again. 
but it's crucial that we human beings be exposed to a limited amount of this evil and suffering because God uses that as a training program to prepare us to receive the rewards of the new creation, somewhat similar to me as a professor making my students suffer. If they don't suffer, they're not going to gain the training that they need for their future career. But what's interesting about the universe is we can measure it and show that the degree of suffering and evil to which we're exposed is ideal. It's optimal for preparing us for our future rewards and positions uh, in the new creation. Well, that's now, very that's interesting. Free. I know there's actually one of the nine reasons. more reasons. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I say there's nine more reasons why God made the universe the way he did. But those three kind of give you the idea that there's a lot know more that, going on. Yeah, yeah go ahead. No, I, I know that one of the reasons that a lot of people have become skeptics of Christianity uh, is because of this issue of suffering. I think, in fact, it might have been Darwin himself who uh, right. who lost a son or a relative. He lost and, a daughter and uh, never really recovered from that. His, his complaint was if God really exists, he wouldn't have taken his beloved young daughter away from him. Uh, but there again, I would say that uh, Charles Darwin didn't understand the reasons why, behind why God would take his young daughter at that time. I mean, if you don't understand that there's a new creation to follow this creation, then it's hard to appreciate why God puts us through the suffering that he does. But keep in mind it's brief. It's only 80 or 90 years. It's amazing what God can do in just those few years. I mean, I find it a challenge as a professor to get my students prepared for their future career in just one semester. You know, I have to measure out the suffering just right so that they get prepared. The thing I've also noticed is my best students want more suffering. Uh, they're looking for better preparation, and that can only come through uh, some degree of suffering. But a really kind and loving professor measures out just the right amount for just the right student at just the right time. Likewise, that's what we see of our Creator God. Well, so what you're saying is there, there is a life after this life. <clears throat> so um, how, how, what could you say to skeptics? Because a lot of people don't believe that. Well, a lot of people how, what don't scientific believe that. Evidence what I is lay there? out and why the universe is the way it is, is we have several sound scientific reasons, independent of the Bible, to conclude that we human beings possess ultimate purpose and destiny. And we can prove also that that ultimate purpose and destiny can't possibly reside in this universe, because the universe is going to reach conditions shortly that are going to make the entire cosmos uh, sterile, hostile to life. Therefore, if we do have purpose and destiny, it must reside beyond this universe. And most of the book is focused on establishing scientifically that we humans really do have purpose and destiny. And it's interesting, when I debate atheist scientists, uh, they concur with that. Uh, you know, rarely do you run into an atheist that says, you know, we're simply cold nothing. We have no purpose. We have no destiny. As it says in the Bible, God has written eternity in our hearts. He's written mm -hmm. upon our hearts the knowledge that there is life after death. Mm -hmm. And so I hear uh, atheists, for example, denying the existence of God, but they still appeal to something beyond the universe, to give them that sense of purpose and destiny. Um, and, you know, if we look at ourselves and compare ourselves with the animals, I mean, you can see that God has designed different kinds of animals to serve and please us in different ways. 
and they had that design before we showed up. Uh, you can't say it's evolution uh, because they had these qualities before we even exist. They had no opportunity to adapt to us. So if they're designed to serve and please us, a higher being, and then we look within ourselves and see that likewise we have that same strong desire to serve and please something beyond ourselves. Uh, and then you look at this anthropic principle in equality. How do you explain the fact that it takes a million times more time to prepare a home for us, and it takes 50 billion trillion stars to prepare just one little planet for us, and yet we can only exist here for 20,000 years or less in a civilized state? How does that make sense unless mm. there's someone out there that has a very high value and a very high purpose uh, for the human species? And these are conclusions that are being drawn, not just by me, uh, but by astronomers and physicists who have no belief in God. It's saying mm -hmm. that we can't deny that there's got to be, that the universe must have a purpose, it knew that we were coming, and therefore we must have a purpose. Why the universe is the way it is, and people can, uh, is it reasons.org where people can learn more about that book and other books that are written? I just want to right. make sure Reasons. that we have Right, reasons.org, you can see all of our books laid out there, and of course our books mm -hmm. are available at the dot-coms like Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, just moving on here, there's some other, quite a few more questions, of course. We're not even going to scratch the surface here. There are an estimated to be more galaxies in the universe, and you were just talking about, what was the number you said, galaxies and stars? 50 well, billion. thanks to the Hubble Space Telescope, we can tell that there's about 250 billion galaxies in the universe where each of those galaxies has between 100 and uh, a trillion stars. Um, and then that all adds up to about approximately 50 billion trillion stars. But, you know, if it wasn't for dark energy, uh, if you were to disturb the mass of the universe by as little as a dime's worth of mass in the early history of the universe, that would be enough to disturb the possibility of the universe supporting life. Just to get this one pale blue dot that we call planet Earth literally requires a universe of 50 billion trillion stars. It requires a universe as old as it is. It requires a universe as dark as it is. You know, our universe is mainly made up of dark stuff. Uh, but if that dark stuff quantity were changed by as little as one part in 10 to the 122, 122 zeros after the one, there'd be no possibility for advanced life within the universe. And the significance of that one part in 10 to the 122, the very best example of human engineering design is at a level of about one part in 10 to the 23. Therefore, just looking at dark energy, the dominant component of the universe, we would be forced to conclude that the one behind the universe that created space and time, at a minimum, must be 10 to the 98 times more intelligent, more knowledgeable, more creative, and better funded than we human beings. And that really isolates the God of the Bible from the gods of the competing religions. Well, better funded, that's, uh, that, that's an interesting concept. Yeah, way better, better funded. funded. <laughs> we're, we're always talking about funding on this show, Dr. Ross, and we talk about the creator of endless amounts of money, namely uh, our chairman of the Fed, Ben Bernanke. You're saying God probably has more money than he does. Yeah, or, by or more resources. Ten to the ninety-eight times minimum. <laughs> I find or, myself you know, chuckling over these quadrillion, 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 quadrillion times. That, that well, I don't think well. most of us can even fathom what one quadrillion is. So, uh, 
it's just it it makes me sort of chuckle as I hear these big numbers. It's just mind boggling. It really is. Now you talk about the I guess going back to the Big Bang as being the creation. What is known as right, popularly right. known as the Big Bang. And at that point in time, and I think you've also talked about the God of the Bible being the only creator in all the religious books that was outside of time and space. Is that right? Right. That's right. So the proof that space and time are the beginning really tells us it's the God of the Bible that created matter, energy, space, and time. And the other religions, gods create within space and time. In Christianity, God creates independent of space and time. And that's why the uh, the space-time theorems are of such great importance. Okay, so if uh, if God is outside of time and space, how did God get there? Well, that's a question that's often asked. If God created the universe, who created God? Yeah. Well, when God created the universe, he created cosmic time, which means he's not limited by time. It also implies that in creating the universe, at a minimum, he has the capacity to move and operate in the equivalent of two dimensions of time. And in two dimensions of time, you can have an infinite number of timelines running in an infinite number of directions. It'd be possible, for example, for God to operate on a timeline infinitely long that never crosses or touches cosmic time, as such that God would have no beginning, no ending, and would be uncreated. And of all the holy books, the Bible stands alone in making that claim about God, that he has no beginning, no ending, he is uncreated, also says of that God that he can arbitrarily compress or expand time in our time dimension. That's only possible for a God that's not limited by linear time. Okay, I know that you've talked about, uh, I believe, when the uh, scientists can go back and look at the time of the Big Bang, and that right. momentarily, for a split fraction of a second, there were, uh, or could be identified, several dimensions beyond the four that we're able to comprehend as human beings, um, you know, height, width, right. length, and time. So Yeah, you've got what... length, width, and height. Those are the three big space dimensions, but accompanying mm-hmm. those three big ones are six very tiny, small ones. But it demonstrates that the universe must be comprised of ten space-time dimensions, and therefore the causal agent that brought the universe into existence must be more powerful than what would be possible to operate within those ten space-time dimensions. And I write about that and why the universe is the way it is in a couple of my previous books, like Beyond the Cosmos, making the point that when you look at the different religions of the world, they all put God in a four-dimensional box except Christianity. Christianity is the only religion that uh, forces the concept of God beyond what we can visualize in four space-time dimensions. So in that sense, the discovery of the reality of these extra dimensions establishes the reality of the Christian faith. Okay, so we're talking about, um, you know, concepts, theological concepts, too, I guess, that, that sort of fit into this. I mean, it's just hard for us to, to comprehend this as you're talking about these different dimensions. It's very difficult. It's very difficult well, it was for human beings. I mean, you can do it with science, with mathematics. Yeah, there was a Chinese physicist, Fong Li Ji, writing as an atheist, uh, who made the point that we now, in astrophysics, have the power to investigate issues that at one time were the exclusive reserve of theologians. 
in being able to observe the cosmic creation event, we physicists have put ourselves on theological turf. Mm. Even though, even though most people believe the two are completely, completely separated. I mean, most of society doesn't seem to to believe there is a um, <clears throat> there is a, a place for science and and faith together. Well, when you're looking at the beginning of the universe, that's the place where science and faith are inextricably linked. And um, you know, because of our capacity to actually uh, discern what was taking place at the cosmic creation event, and even what was taking place before, we can actually use science to put to the test different theological paradigms. So, for example, we can test uh, Hindu cosmologies against Christian cosmologies. You know, in Hinduism, there is a claim that the universe reincarnates. And for mm-hmm. centuries, that wasn't testable. Today it is. Today we can rule out that possibility. Okay, so in your view, then, Genesis got it right in terms of the order of the creation. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. Once you appreciate that the point of view for the six creation days mm-hmm. is God uh, telling us what was happening from the, from the surface of the earth, and also once we appreciate that the Hebrew word yom uh, of the four literal definitions, the correct one is a long but finite period of time. Then you get a perfect score of the events in the six creation days in terms of their description and their order. Uh, but if you right. mess up the point of view, then everything is uh, likewise messed up. Right, so when you talk about creation days, you might just describe they're not 24-hour days, obviously. Well, the Hebrew word translated uh, day, the word yom, has four different literal definitions. Mm -hmm. One of those literal definitions is 24 hours, but another one is a long but finite period of time. Mm -hmm. And I've written a book on this where I make the point that if you look at all 27 creation accounts, the only way you can read the Bible consistently and literally is if those days of creation are long periods of time, not 24 hours. That emphasizes the importance of reading all the creation content of the Bible, not just Genesis 1. All the creation content. Could you give us some idea where some of the other content is found in the Bible? Yeah, sure. For example, Psalm 104 takes you through the six creation days, just like Genesis 1 does. Likewise, Job 38 and 39, and the Proverbs 8. So at a minimum, you want to go to those three texts to make sure you're properly interpreting Genesis chapter 1. But in addition to that, there are 23 other chapter-length or longer creation accounts. We have them all posted at our reasons.org website, so you can see them for yourself. Oh, good. You've made the point also that, you know, the the author of Genesis um, could not have known, did not have the scientific evidence that that you are privy to, that other scientists uh, are privy to these days. And I guess you've made the point that that is another more evidence that that the writers of Genesis were divinely inspired. Is that right? Well, that's right, and that's also the primary reason why I signed my name in the back of a Gideon Bible at age 19. I mean, as a young astronomy student reading through the Bible, I recognized that these ancient Bible writers had accurately predicted uh, all the fundamental elements of Big Bang cosmology that the universe is continuously expanding from the beginning of space and time under constant laws of physics, where one of those laws is a pervasive law of decay, which actually predicts exactly how the temperature 
of the universal cool with respect to time. And so I wound up counting about 300 places in the Bible where it had accurately predicted future scientific discoveries, centuries, in some cases millennia, ahead of those discoveries, and never was the Bible wrong. And so I concluded that that would only be the case if this book we call the Bible was inspired by the one that created the universe. So that's what really motivated me to, to give my life to Jesus Christ. Very interesting. Are there any discrepancies in your field that seem to contradict your thesis at all that you can think of? Well, there are always anomalies in any model of creation or evolution. The way you put your models to the test, as you learn more, do the anomalies get fewer and fewer, and do they get less and less significant? And there's a feature on our website called Today's New Reason to Believe, where we document on a daily basis how the scientific evidence for the Christian faith uh, gets stronger and how the gaps in our creation model are getting fewer and less problematic with respect to time. But no, we'll never have a complete creation model because we'll never know everything. The um, question is, just, does your model improve? And if it continues to improve, then... So we're not talking about complete 100% foolproof evidence. We're talking about... Um, Let's say when you're on a jury trial, you're asked to judge beyond a reasonable doubt. Are we talking about uh, reasonable doubt? Are we talking about something correct. stronger? Uh, here? You know, when an atheist says, look, I want absolute proof, I have to remind uh-huh. them that because of our limitations in space and time, we can't have absolute proof of anything. You know, mm-hmm. I married my wife without absolute proof that she exists. All I had was a high <laughs> probability. But the question is, does that probability grow as our relationship continues. I would say after 32 years of marriage, I have a much higher probability and certainty of her existence than I did the day we got married. (laughs) And what I would say to an atheist skeptic, if I can provide you with stronger scientific evidence uh, that God exists than I can that my wife exists, uh, will you, on the basis of that evidence, submit your life to the authority of your Creator? And Mm. they keep demanding absolute proof, and it's going to be impossible to satisfy them. Okay. But we do well, have adequate think, evidence. Well, I think we've, we've not even scratched the surface here, Dr. Ross. I thank you so much for spending your time with us today to talk about these things. I would ask you about gold, since our investors and our listeners are very interested in gold. You made a point already that, in fact, at the time of creation, the circumstances had to be just right for various minerals to be created, minerals that we use in our daily lives and have made our lives better over, over many centuries. Aristotle recognized that gold was created for money as a medium of exchange, and he just noticed its properties. It's durable, it's divisible, it's convenient, it's consistent, has intrinsic value. All those things have, made, have caused markets to choose gold as a medium of exchange. Could you just comment a little bit, how did God create gold? What circumstances needed to be in place for gold and other minerals to be, to be created? Well, you'll see an article up on our website called Today's New Reason to Believe. I wrote it last week, making the point that Earth, of all the bodies in the universe, is unique in its abundance of elements. It's the most gold-rich. It's the most rich in uranium and thorium. Uh, It's rich in phosphorus, extremely poor in water and in carbon and in sulfur. So all the stuff that would be deadly to life, the Earth is very underabundant all the stuff that's crucial for launching and sustaining high-technology civilization. We have that here. Where does most of our gold come from? South Africa. And we now recognize that a gold-enriched asteroid hit South Africa years ago, 
and that's one reason why we have so much of this valuable metal, not just for finances. Gold is crucial because of its uh, electrical properties for high-technology uh, computers and, and like that. Without all that gold, we wouldn't have the high technology we have today. Well, thank you, Dr. Ross. We are out of time. I'm afraid thank you so much for your insights, your, uh, your knowledge, for sharing that with us. And I want to remind people that they can go to reasons.org to learn more about Dr. Ross's work. And you have a team of scientists with you as well, don't you? You have a, you have a biologist, correct. I think. And... We have well, a thank you very much, Dr. Ross. It's greatly appreciated your insights. And uh, all the best to you. And we uh, want to follow your work as we go forward into the future. Folks, don't go away. We're going to have... Uh, Claude Limousson with us. Uh, he is the president of Guyana Goldfields, and Dr. Ross was talking about South Africa. Well, we do have some big gold deposits being discovered elsewhere. Guyana Gold has got a large deposit, I think a very exciting company in the making, uh, in Guyana, South America. So we'll be right back with Claude uh, in just a few minutes. Don't go away. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. 
Listening to turning hard times into good times with your host Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and the Good Times. Well, next year we're going to go to a two-hour format, and we expect to talk a lot more to companies, uh, CEOs of companies that are sponsors to this show and CEOs that are companies that are on Jay's watch list. That's J-A-Y-S watchlist.com. We have uh, quite a few very interesting companies there on Jay's watch list.com, but none of these companies, I think, are more exciting than Guyana Goldfields. It trades in Toronto uh, under the symbol G-U-Y and the pink sheets under G-U-Y-F-F. There's 65, roughly 65 million shares outstanding, I believe, and about uh, trading earlier today, I think at around $6.5 U.S., something like that. Uh, we are fortunate to have Claude Limisson with us today. He's the president and chief operating officer of Guyana Goldfields. Uh, <clears throat> he's with us, and uh, I'm having him on because his company is on Jay's watch list, and we expect to have uh, Claude on more with us, as I say, when we go to a two-hour format next year. Uh, Claude, welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thank you uh, very much, uh, Jay. It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, your Aurora project is in Guyana, South America. I don't know how much people know about Guyana, but maybe you could just give our listeners some sense of Guyana and, and what it's like. Uh, what about its political risks? Because people a lot of times are always wondering about that when you stray outside of Canada and the United States and some other places that are seen, that are thought to be safe places. There's not that much mining going on in Guyana, but maybe you can tell us something about it. Uh, sure. So Guyana as a country is uh, located in the north part of South America, so just on the north uh, Atlantic coast of South America. It's the only English-speaking country in South America uh, with a British common law, and uh, it is part of the Commonwealth uh, group of countries. Uh, it has a democratically elected government under a parliamentary system, and um, the GDP of the country is, is just over about a, a billion dollar U.S., so fairly, a fairly small country, a population around uh, 750,000 people, uh, mostly living in the uh, coastal area and along the main rivers uh, of the country. Uh, it does have a long history of significant gold production, uh, but it is um, it is mainly from artisanal means as opposed to being from uh, high industrial means, which is the type of mine that we're proposing on uh, building uh, in the country eventually. Uh, the government is actually very pro-mining, uh, very supportive of uh, development in general, but particularly of uh, gold mining development. And we've had excellent relationship uh, with various members of the government, including uh, the Prime Minister himself, Sam Hines, who we've met uh, 
uh, a few times, who I've personally met a few times, and uh, he he has actually some uh, mining engineering background, uh, so is very understanding of what we're trying to do. So, so Guyana as a country, certainly, uh, you know, we've been told more than once by the prime minister and other members. Uh, uh, of the uh, the government that they they are open for business and they're very excited about seeing development opportunities uh, within their country. Okay, Claude, we um, I'm told by my engineers that we only have about three minutes left. Uh, I can't believe it's that little, but anyway, let's get on to the project. Four point eight five million ounces of gold. Uh, you're doing a feasibility study that I believe is scheduled to be completed by the first quarter of 2010. Is that right? It's actually the yeah. It's actually the end of the second quarter of 2010. So in, in about six months uh, from now. Uh, so yeah, we've got about 4.6 million ounces of gold. We're currently in the, in the pre-development phase, so doing a feasibility study. Uh, we've got uh, AMEC, which is a uh, AMEC, which is a very uh, well recognized uh, global engineering firm who's doing some of that work for us, and we're looking at. Uh, um, you know, moving the the uh, the study forward, completing that in June of of 2010, and then proceeding with uh, development of the mine itself for about 24 months, and then first production would be in the third quarter of 2012 or so. Okay, so you're expecting to produce. Uh, I, I know this is all subject to final feasibility, of course, but <clears throat> you're scheduled to produce a quarter of a million ounces a year. Uh, if memory serves me correctly, the preliminary economics are suggesting at a cash cost of what under under four hundred dollars somewhere. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we're, we're in the lower quartile of all uh, costs for gold mining at about three hundred and sixty-four dollars an ounce, and we'll be producing that uh, that quarter million ounce a year for about sixteen years. So that that ends up totaling around four million ounces of, of production over the next sixteen years. Well, let's say you have a $1,000 gold price, and we're well above that now, with, a, with let's say it's even $400. That gives you a $600 margin. I'm, I know your numbers are looking better than that, and we have had $1,200 gold, but even with a $600 margin, that's, that's quite a lot of uh, free cash flow that would be coming out of the project. Oh, absolutely, and and our our, our, our ca- capital expenditure. So the initial investment to put in into the mine to uh, to basically start operating out of the open pit is is also fairly low, around the two hundred and eighty three million uh, dollar uh, U.S. Uh, dollar uh, mark. So so when we look at, for example, uh, internal rate of returns at about thirty percent or. Uh, a, a payback of 3.6 here. We're talking a very highly profitable uh, mining operation here. Well, we're talking about a GDP of $1 billion, Claude, uh, in, in Guyana. I mean, you're going to be producing a good portion of the GDP out of this mine, I would think, if you just multiply 250,000 ounces times <clears throat> times $1,000. That's that's a quarter of a billion dollars, if my math is Yeah, right. it's, it's basically a quarter of the GDP of the country uh, will be uh, impacting uh, that'll be the impact of this mine, which is very significant for the country, and hence why the government is is so su- supportive to see us uh, develop this uh, world-class asset. Well, Claude, I wish we had more time. We're out of time. We're going to have you back sometime in the new year. We'll do it under more relaxed conditions where we can talk and perhaps take some questions from investors as well so we can really get into Guyana Goldfields, folks. Check it out. What's your website, uh, Claude? It, yeah, so our, our website is, is www.guyana.gold.com. 
Guy Gold, so G-U-Y-G-O-L-D dot com. And you'll find right, a, well, a lot of interesting information on there on everything in, we're up to right now. Indeed. Thank you so much, Claude. We're going to have you back next year, folks. We're just out of time here now. I've got to say, uh, be sure to come in next week. We've got uh, another very interesting guest, uh, William Baker, uh, author of Endless Money. I want to thank our producer, Tacey Trump, uh, my executive producer, as well as Ruben Colombe, the operations manager, and Travis Ortwin, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. And thanks again to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.